This is the Building Management Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. As people become more comfortable in the home building automation space, they want to be able to take this commercial as well. Regardless of the ups and downs in the stock market, if these manufacturers, these plants, and these entities want to stay open, they need water. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the podcast today. I am your host, Tyler Kern, and joining me is John Shanahan. He is the president and CEO of Ionogen. John, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Hey, Tyler. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know what? It's a beautiful day here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, summer's kicked off, so all is good. All is good. All is good indeed. So today we're exploring whether or not chlorine is really the the best disinfectant. We're going to kind of explore that from a lot of different angles and tell a little bit more about the history of it as a product. But chlorine-based bleaches date all the way back to Europe in the late 18th century, if I'm right. So we've been using it as a standard to protect people for a, a long time now. But John, I think that there's some need to add maybe some nuance to the conversation because there are different types of chlorine for us to talk about. Uh, and maybe the most, uh, the, the most common one that everyone knows about is bleach. So let, let's just start off talking about that. Where did bleach come from and why do we use it for so many different things? Well, thanks, Tyler. You know, it's kind of funny. This is one of those ordinary products that you say, well, I walk into the grocery store, I see this. Uh, I think it's always been here. So people just kind of always accept that it's there. And there's there's a lot of different feelings about it. Um, mm-hmm. You can run across some folks that'll say, oh, that's the greatest for, for say, getting rid of mold in, in, in my bathtub or that I use that product in my washer to brighten up my whites. Um, and then you run across other people say, oh my gosh, it ruins clothing. Um, it's, it's reported as what we call an asthmagen or something that can trigger asthma in people. And, and uh, you look back in sort of the history of it being used as a disinfectant and yeah, it's a powerful disinfectant, but people will say, look how it ruined the carpeting here, or the drapes, or it ruined this countertop in, in this particular building. So bleach has sort of a long, long history. Um, the kind of funny part about it is, is nobody really understands fully how to use the product. So it was first discovered, um, you're right, in Europe in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and its name, bleach, is, uh, is actually just a verb. It's a descriptor of what people discovered that it did. Uh, it has a kind of a long complex name of sodium hypochlorite, but I can't imagine what your wife would do if you looked at her and said, hey, honey, when you go to the store, grab some sodium hypochlorite. She'd probably look at you like you'd stepped in from a foreign place. But I, I get that look on a pretty regular <laughs> basis, but yeah, yeah. Most good husbands do, <laughs> I included. And But the, the reality of it is, is it, it Because used on uh, early cottons and wools 100 years ago, um, it bleached out or burned out the color. And so it got this moniker that stuck with it as a branding name. And, and uh, until really bright, vibrant colored clothing started to come into vogue, um, when most clothing was gray and black and white, it was fine for whites, but it was never considered usable for anything else. And so it's been around for a long, long time um, but it's as, as we've gotten to know more about bleach, um, we started to come to the understanding that there are some problems with it beyond just, say, ruining your clothing. So let, let's look at a few of those. And we'll, what we'll do in the conversation, we'll unpack it a little bit to understand what bleach really is, which is this truly amazing um, liquid called chlorine. And we'll talk a little bit about chlorine because sometimes people get that term in bleach 
interchanged, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so so about, a, about 100 years ago, we started using it to you know, brighten up things. And then people discovered that when you mixed it with water, it became chlorine. And, and for germs, it's still considered one of the first reach products when we want to kill germs. So about 10 years ago, not quite, there was a huge problem with Ebola in, um, in the Ivory Coast in Africa. As a matter of fact, there's a movie that came out this weekend talking about how bad it was. And right, the National right. Institutes of Health, the World or Health Organization and, and organizations like this, the first thing they'll do is they'll treat surfaces with a 5% bleach solution, about 5,000 parts per million. And they, they spray it on the workers' suits, they spray it on the tabletops. And the good news is, Everything dies. Germs can't live. But it isn't because of bleach that it dies. The germs die because chlorine is such an effective killer of germs. Uh, if you thought of a germ on a surface like a raw egg cracked on a tabletop, the yolk is the, is the germ and the white is the food that feeds the germ. When you put chlorine on that, the white instantly disappears. It's gone because it's oxidizing that, that whitening power of what we think of chlorine does. And then what happens is the yolk starts to suck in the, the chlorine water and people go, aha, so chlorine is a poison. Actually, that's not how it works as a disinfectant. What it does is the germ sucks it in and it's so thirsty that it drinks up the water that the chlorine is in and it blows up the cells instantaneously. So germs don't have a way to adapt. And that's going to play a bigger role in, later in our conversation when we talk about it. So over the years... What's happened is we people said, oh, bleach, we can use it as a great disinfectant. But then came the trade-off. Our health, the surfaces that we put it on, the buildings that we used it in, all became highly damaged. And, and, and so for the longest time, people said, well, that's the only way I can really get bleach. And most people thought of chlorine as a secondary name to it. Most people who understood it said, oh, I put chlorine in my swimming pool. Now, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, and they go, well, uh, you know, you got to be really careful. And moms, my wife would always tell our kids, don't swim with your eyes open in the water because it'll hurt your eyes. Well, that's because the pools were filled with bleach. But bleach and chlorine have this sister element to it. And, and it's been around for as long as bleach, but it's, it's just not put up in a bottle where you can keep it for a long period of time. That sister chlorine is what we call free available chlorine or neutral, neutral pH chlorine. So the, the really cool part about that is, is that we can actually generate it on site in little devices these days. Used to be huge machines the size of the fridge in your house. These little machines, size of a coffee pot, can be put into your building and we put a little bit of salt water in them and they'll generate a pool of neutral pH chlorine. This is so gentle that if you were wearing a dark blue wool sports jacket, I could splash this all over your suit jacket and it would never take the color out of your coat. Wow. It, wow. It's actually 80 to 200 times more effective against bacteria than bleach. The US EPA about 40 years ago did a study about it. And, and it's just that it's not a very widely known product because in the past, everybody got their chlorine by grabbing a bottle at the grocery store and hauling it home. Mm -hmm. But these little devices can now be purchased and put into your home, and they can build everything from low levels of chlorine or free available chlorine for your home to 
to higher levels that we use in, in uh, hospitals and public schools. So you're saying that this is basically a, a product that has all of the upsides of chlorine and bleach, but, but, none of, but reduced downsides, fewer downsides? Correct. I like to put the, the equation to that of like a Tesla to a Porsche. So, you know, a few years back, people say electric cars and they go, oh, that's a joke or a toy. Those really don't do anything and they're not fast. And, or all electric cars look like a Prius. You know, they aren't, they aren't mainstream automobiles. But science has moved along. And, and now, um, you know, you look at a Tesla and a Tesla is a beautiful car, but it's 100% electric. No engine in that car, 200 miles. And people originally said, well, 200 miles, that isn't enough. Well, what they discovered after doing a lot of study with the average person in the course of a week, short of you jumping in the car for a vacation, most people only drove about 165 miles in a week, so 200 was plenty. Right. Well, in these devices, what we've figured out how to do is that instead of shipping bottles of bleach all over the place f with this inactive solution, which is very caustic, it's highly corrosive, you can't put it in airplanes, you don't even want to haul it on trucks because if it spills, it can eat through the side of a truck, which is truly what bleach is. We can ship a small level of, of salt water um, via, the, uh, via a biodegradable packet. This is just a salt water. When that salt water gets to a location, we can put it into a device about as sophisticated as a Keurig coffee maker. And that <laughs> Keurig will turn it into this free available chlorine solution that then we can use for sanitizing or disinfecting depending on what we're trying to do with it. So you would use it pretty much the same way. So let's say I had a restaurant and I needed to disinfect tables. Would I, would I use it the same way that I'd be using um, maybe, you know, chlorine or, or bleach type product before? Correct. And, and you, what a great example you've brought up, Tyler. So restaurants are a perfect, perfect example of this. Um, if you think about quick serve dining, say Chick-fil-A's and McDonald's and places like this, we today, they ask their employees to take a, a chemical called quaternary disinfectants and they spray this on the table. Here's the problem. These disinfectants are toxic to human beings. Oh, they'll kill the germs inside of that restaurant. But if you're the employee that works there, and, and by the way, the largest percentage of employees that work in restaurants are women, um, these chemicals damage the endocrine system of the body. You're, they damage your hormones. When I mm -hmm. say hormones often to guys, they go, well, girls have hor hormones. No, fellas, we have testosterone. That's a hormone too. And, and, and this will destroy and interfere with our, our endocrine system. And so, but chlorine, free available chlorine doesn't do that. Where bleach would ruin the tabletop at that restaurant Free available chlorine doesn't do that, or it doesn't damage it. It doesn't hurt your clothes or skin. And here's part of the reason why. It's developed inside your human body. Every one of your white blood cells produces this free available chlorine, little chemical known as hypochlorous acid, and it's naturally developed. And, and because of that, it's not harmful to us. It doesn't do any damage to us. And so you are absolutely right. You can have all the attributes of that Porsche, I'm sorry, you can have all the attributes of that bottle of bleach, but with the efficiency of the Tesla or free available chlorine in this case. 
That's really, really fascinating. Okay, so uh, let's go back then to the uh, to the Ebola example. Uh, is it possible then that this could help uh, prevent outbreaks and things like that in the future or help uh, reduce uh, contamination when it comes to infectious diseases and, and things like this? Can this help actually like help keep people safe on a mass level? It can, and that's what's so really interesting about this. Um, most things that we use in society in our public schools or we use in our hospitals or we use in say a nursing home or, or a long-term care facility the things that kill germs kill us and very often this is what people forget we are living creatures too and a germ or an amoeba or a bacteria these are living things and if you put poisons or toxins on them they come on us one of the challenges facing us today is that the pharmaceutical industry is no longer making any new antibiotics. All of the major pharmaceutical companies globally have shifted to cancer treatments and other things, but we've run out of antibiotics. So now what we've started to see globally, and you've seen it in the news, is mass outbreaks of some sleeper viruses like measles. It's done a big comeback. Measles has made a huge comeback. It's, uh, it's, it's still spreading wildly across the United States. Part of the reason for that is, while 20 years ago we declared we had won the war on measles, the germs got smarter. The germs adapted. They figured out how to be more resistant even to what we were using to hold them off. Then on top of that, we have people who, for either personal or religious reasons, choose not to immunize. And, 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 and then we have people who emigrate to our country who their nation may not have had an immunization program. So the challenge is, you know, what does an immunized person look like? Well, we don't know. And so treating all things equal, free available chlorine can be used in a misting form in a public school, in a hospital, in a nursing home. We can atomize this liquid through power misters and we can kill measles on doorknobs, on tabletops, on desktops, so that even if we have a non-immunized person that comes into that room, if we take a probiotic approach or we give that room a pretreatment, not every day, it doesn't have to be done every day, but we might do it three days a week in a public school. What we are doing is killing the virus off so that it doesn't have a chance to affect somebody who potentially has never been immunized. Likewise, with things severe things like Ebola. Ebola actually isn't very, very hard to kill. It actually dies very easily, but customarily in countries like uh, West Africa, people would handle their relatives who, who passed away. But if they were simply sprayed, their hands were sprayed and, and their homes were sprayed down with this, we could stop the transmission. The Ebola virus would die at the hands of chlorine and has been proven to very easily. So the, the, the wonderful advantage of free available chlorine and generating it on site is it is far more effective than even the most uh, fresh version of a bottle of bleach. It'll do so much more work without any of the negative side effects. That's incredible. And, and just really, I think, exciting to think about the, the future where we have uh, less um, less danger due to some of these uh, these diseases and these outbreaks. But I'm curious about 
whether or not it can be produced on a large scale, right? Because you, you talked about how a device, you know, as simple as a Keurig uh, produces this, you know, there locally, but can it be produced on a, on a large scale so that yeah, we could be pumping it through a, a sprinkler system in a school or something like that? Can, is that a feasible thing for, uh, for us to attain in the near future? You know, that's the amazing thing of technology and how technology moves along. Like with lithium-ion batteries, We've gone from cars that could drive 10 miles to 200, and now I, I read an article just recently about a semi-truck that Walmart's testing that's a hybrid semi. It, it, and and uh, we see more and more that city buses today are run off of propane gas versus mm-hmm. diesel because diesel's filthy and dirty and leaves us residue. These generators that generate this free available chlorine can range, as I said earlier, from the size of a Keurig to big enough to take care of an entire school system or to take care of a huge campus like, say, University of California, Stanford. And, and, and so they can be tailored or scripted to the need that they have to serve, like the hybrid engine that services that big semi that Walmart uses is a different scale than, say, the one that runs um, you know, a small car. We can do the same thing with these generators. They're completely scalable. And probably one of the other things that goes along with taking care of large facilities that we are very excited about when we study this is one of the one of the big side effects of using bleach is getting rid of the container. And we're a big supporter at our organization of the group for ocean because we think plastics are a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Well, just last year in the United States, there were over 41 million bottles of bleach sold. And where do you think those bottles of bleach, those empty plastic containers wind up? Landfills primarily. When we had some flooding here in East Tennessee, we found bottle after bottle of cleaning chemicals, including bleach floating down the Tennessee River because garbage cans became overturned, dumpsters became overturned. And when professional buildings like hospitals and nursing homes and schools are done with their professional bottles of cleaning chemicals, those plastic bottles don't get recycled. They go straight into our waste stream. On-site generators would allow us to have completely compostable packages of this saltwater solution that are non-toxic, non-poisonous, totally benign, that can go into these either tiny generators or massive generators to take care of whatever the specific need is without putting all that plastic into the waste stream. So we started off by talking about the, the history of, of bleach and, and chlorine-based ble- bleaches and, and that sort of thing and how they became uh, widespread and kind of common use and common knowledge. Every, everyone had, you know, has an opinion about it. Everyone has seen a bottle of bleach. Um, and it's just become kind of a, a household item, I suppose. Um, what's it going to take for uh, for this new way of thinking, this, this free available chlorine? What's it going to take for it to become um, thought of on the same level? You know, do we need to get you a megaphone? Or, you know, <laughs> what, what what can we do to to to, to make this become a a, a more household, uh, you know, kind of item that that everyone knows and everyone uh, kind of looks for when it comes to what they use for for cleaning supplies and that sort of so, thing. So it's coming in really interesting small steps. I told you the story earlier of, you know, how child gets into a swimming pool and the mother says, you know, Bobby, don't open your eyes underwater. It'll burn your eyes. But that's changing rapidly here in the country. And it's happening around the world as well. Today, it's not uncommon to find people who will say, I have a saltwater swimming pool. Now, they don't really mean they have like ocean water in there. 
But right. they've taken these little, let's call them hypochlorous generators or free available chlorine generators, FAC generators, and they take them out. And what happens is we put a bag of rock salt into this bin where the old uh, filter was. And that, that machine breaks up that salt and turns it into FAC and it circulates it around the pool. Now what's really cool about those saltwater swimming pools as they're called, is that you can swim underwater with your eyes wide open and it'll never burn your eyes. Right, they, right. They'll never take the color out of your hair, never ruin your bathing suit. So they're on, on big scales like a swimming pool, they're gaining in, in an understanding. What we're starting to see is certain schools uh, have picked them, are starting to work with these mid-sized generators, medium-sized to take care of elementary schools and middle schools. And, and we see the next phase of this in, think of it like, again, the, the hybrid or electric car. There are manufacturers that are coming along today to make the devices easier to understand, more attractive, more mainstay. So I'm, I'm probably a lot older than you, and I remember when I got my first computer and it was run on a system we called in the day we called it DOS and there was no Apple and there was no Microsoft we used to have to type in semicolon backslash exe it was terrible it was it was awful and 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 if it hadn't been for guys like Bill Gates and and Steve Jobs um, I don't think people would have adapted to it but there's several manufacturers today that are working very uh, straightforwardly to build devices that are really easy for people to understand easy for them to interpret easy for them to touch and work with. And, and as the device technology becomes more, uh, more commonplace, easy to understand, what happens is people will adapt. Um, we're already seeing the Gen Xers and, and the generations even after them saying, look, I don't want pine salt in my house. I don't want these heavy chemicals around. I don't trust them. And, and, but they're searching for right now for these little generators, but they, eh, there's not a big offering of it out there, but it's coming. I know several companies that are working on this, and it is coming along right now. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating. And now, where, where are some other places that we've talked, you know, we, we've talked about schools, restaurants, you know, and, and swimming pools. What are some other places that maybe we could see generators in the future that you see uh, potential benefits and uses for them? Well, it, what's, re- what, what's interesting is that the, the next likely place that we'll see come in and, and, and take a very straightforward uh, look will be in ventilation systems. So we know today that what happens is a lot of germs move around buildings inside of the ventilation systems and they can get pulled up by the intake air vent and moved. We're, we're starting to see where they'll pump this free available chlorine passively into the ductwork that's coming out of the, the exhaust side of the air conditioning or the heating system in the winter. And what happens is it'll kill all the germs in the air, but you'll never smell it in your office. There won't be that lingering swimming pool smell. It's very passive, but it would kill all that, being, again, a probiotic approach. We know of one company right now that's working on a generator that can be put into a hospital room, and if you have severely compromised health, they can passively fill that whole room with this stuff in the air, this free available chlorine in the air. And I say, well, well, that's great for my aunt who might be sick. It's even better for the workers that have to go into that environment because remember, somebody has to go in and care for this person who's desperately sick. And if we're purifying the air and purifying the surfaces before the person goes into that room, the room is far safer. And, and what's really interesting is all of this on-site generation along with eliminating plastics and getting plastic bottles and plastic containers out of the environment is it improves the health 
of people that work there. We know of a couple of hotels in the United States where this has been put in and the housekeepers who have to clean your hotel room every night by going to this technology, they went from about 25% of the workforce who was sick every month to 2%. Wow. So you could really see a future where we have um, maybe reduced upper respiratory, uh, maybe, what, what am I trying to say? Reduced upper respiratory infections and, and things along those lines just because we have cleaner indoor air um, based on, on using this particular free available chlorine. Is, is that something that you could foresee in the, in the future? Absolutely. We, we, we can see that when, we, when this has been put into play, where people have responsibilities of, say, either daily cleaning or they have a, 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 a daily sanitation that's required and they have to go in there and do it, what happens is the workforce the health of the workforce then suddenly starts to radically improve. And so what we see that comes out of that is if, if you're exposed to say heavy cleaning or, or, or daily use of cleaning chemicals um, and you shift over to free available chlorine, whether that's put out in a, in a probiotic approach or it's done as a response approach. Response would be, wow, we have a couple of kids in our school that have the flu, let's go take this with a power mister and we'll mist it in the school. We watch that the school health improve so the students are healthier the teachers are now healthier because they're trapped in a room full of 30 kids but also and, and a secondary part of that is the staff that has to clean and disinfect the building suddenly they're healthier when all of that occurs two other side effects happen in schools test scores improve and then graduation rates improve which is a, which is the whole goal of the the US Department of Education to improve test scores, improve attendance and improve graduation rates. Hard to learn when you feel sick and crummy. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true and I know that in the past the EPA has talked about that the level of indoor air pollution can be anywhere from 2 to 5 times more polluted than even just bad outside air. So this is clearly a problem that needs some sort of solution, and you're coming along and, and providing that solution. We, the, 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 the goal is to bring, uh, to, to get you to that, it looks like a, a car I'd like to drive, have it at a price that you can afford, and have it be a device that you can interact with so, so that, that you can look at it and appreciate it, and maybe the device, <coughs> excuse me, can even help you to achieve your goals of whether it's a healthier building, um, I have a very good friend who's got multiple sclerosis. He lives down in Texas and his, his immune system is kind of compromised mm -hmm. and a cold to him can be really altering. A flu could be life threatening. So he takes this every night. He puts it in a, in a simple vaporizer like you'd get at Walgreens or CVS and he atomizes it every night in his bedroom and he sleeps with it on every single night in an effort to keep the air purified so that it doesn't harm uh, you know, he can't pick up a, a disease or a germ. And, and so far, over the course of doing it about four years, knock on wood, he's never had a cold or a flu. That's pretty incredible. Now, you, you mentioned just the, these generators. Is that the biggest um, innovation, I suppose, that's made this more accessible uh, than it has been before? Because you, you said that this is a product that has been, that people have been aware of for over 100 years. Am I right about that? Yeah, so post-World War II, these generators were kind of invented. The Japanese and the Russians uh, didn't have any oil at the end of World War II, so they had they were surrounded by all kinds of salt water, and they figured out that adding electricity to salt water, they could create free available chlorine. Well, from that time up until 2000, the generators really never got more efficient. As a matter of fact, 
By the time we got to about the year 2000, these things were as big as a refrigerator in your house with double doors, and they were really not highly effective. They could only make low levels of chlorine. They had to put out a side stream of a liquid called sodium hydroxide that nobody wanted. But about 10 years ago, um, somebody came along and they were able to, to reshape these machines and get them down to about the size of your briefcase, all the way down to the size of the Keurig machine. And that was, that was the biggest innovation in literally 80 years that had happened in this technology. Now it's moved it along and it's made it more mainstream and, and there's still some innovation to come there to make it even more mainstream, to, to tie it back to people so they have a greater knowledge of, of what this technology can actually be and how it can be used proactively versus just in a response disinfectant. And, and with all of the things that modern communication brings, that, that will play a role in this as well. So the, the technology is really, uh, it's really at a, at a point where it's just ready to tip over and, and I think to be able to be seen, the devices themselves to be seen as more mainstream. Well, hopefully uh, with these devices and with free available chlorine, we can have a healthier future, one that is um, free of more concerns of, you know, Ebola and of, um, you know, measles and, and things like that, diseases that we can uh, do a better job of making sure don't get spread around the population. Hopefully that we, you know, we can foresee that future. So hopefully that becomes a reality and something that we can all uh, get to experience and enjoy together. It's, it's, it's on its way, uh, Tyler. I promise you that it's, it's moving in that direction and, and society wants it there. You know, it's, it's like I've always said about, uh, you know, things like electric cars and, and even cell phones. When, when we make these devices intuitive um, and what I call fil familiar technology, when it looks like familiar technology, then we can easily adapt to it. So like cell phones, which had a 14 year adoption curve to 98% adoption, um, smartphones only had a three year uh, adoption curve because once you figured out my goodness I could carry this thing around I can phone I can text and then things like apps came along all of a sudden the the, the cell phone became absolutely an indispensable part of, of daily life I think these generators the the more that they shrink and and shrink they will they'll get smaller and smaller and more more compact and and uh, extremely user-friendly I think that as that occurs and and you could get the same or better germ killing there uh, than you were getting with any other chemical you could buy at the grocery store. And, and you don't have to buy these chemicals and have them in your house and have them near your children or family or pets. That's when the technology will, will start to get into its sweet spot, if you will. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to that day for sure. John Shanahan, the president and CEO of Ionogen. John, thank you so much for joining me today and explaining this. Thanks, Tyler. I really enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too, sir. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Market Scale Building Management Podcast. I hope you learned a lot like I did. If you enjoyed this content, make sure to go check out the Building Management Industry page at marketscale.com. Just head to Market Scale, click on that Industries tab up at the top of the page, scroll down until you find Building Management. It'll be right there at the top. And then you'll find more podcasts, written content, as well as videos, all for you to enjoy. We'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.